I'm Stephen Tracy, and this is the Ruling Elder podcast of the Committee on Christian Education of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. This is a podcast designed to assist in the education, training, and encouragement of ruling elders in their work. Ruling elders are one of God's gifts to His church. I'm delighted to welcome Chad Van Dixhorn to the podcast today to talk about ruling elders and the Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechisms. Chad is an ordained minister in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church and recently moved to Reformed Theological Seminary, where as of August 1st, he is serving as Professor of Church History and Theology, RTS Charlotte in North Carolina. Chad, thanks for joining me today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm wondering, have you finally unpacked boxes? Um, I'm assuming all the boxes of books were unpacked first. You know, I have not unpacked a single box of books because only a couple of days ago did I find the hardware to put my bookshelves together. So uh, I'm a little behind the eight ball here. Uh, well, that probably means that um, the answers to any questions here are going to be severely limited because you can't put your finger on the book. That, that That's right. Normally, I have all my answers published ahead of time before a podcast, so I won't be able to find those. Yeah, Chad, you've been studying the Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechisms for a long time. You've been studying them, well, in original formats um, as well. Not a lot of people get the privilege of doing that. You're still excited? Yes, yes. I, I look forward to continue writing about the standards and about the Westminster Assembly as well. I've got uh, different projects uh, uh, going, different uh, irons in the fire. So, yeah, very happy about this. Good. Good. Excellent. We look forward to everything that uh, comes from your pen. Thank you. Thank you for your work. We're talking um, about the Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechisms, particularly in relationship to the work of ruling elders. We want to encourage um, and help ruling elders in their work. Uh, one of the first ways that ruling elders probably uh, have to face the catechisms and the confessions comes with their their formula of subscription when they adopt the Confession of Faith and the Catechisms. Have you any thoughts on the on the issue of subscription and how elders approach that? Yeah. So, so th- thank you for making me think about this. Um, uh, our our question, the question that's posed to an elder: Do you sincerely receive and adopt the Confession of Faith and Catechisms of this Church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? Is uh, is, is is wonderfully wonderfully worded. Uh, the uh, the accent here is on receiving and adopting this confession, uh, these catechisms. Sometimes um, uh, people take that question uh, and put all the all the weight on the system of doctrine. It's as if it's as if they think the question is being asked: Do you accept the system of doctrine uh, uh, that's uh, that's that's taught in the scriptures and and summarized in these confession and catechisms. That, that's that's not quite what's being asked. Uh, we're asking if these if this confession these catechisms uh, contain the system of doctrine taught in the scriptures and and do we receive that? Do we do we adopt these these texts as good summaries of that system of doctrine? Uh, that that was a bit of a ramble, but what I, what I'm saying is we need to know not simply the doctrine but the texts. And so if, uh, if I'm a, a ruling elder, if I'm training a ruling elder, um, I want them to, to read and to understand uh, the confession and catechisms. 
uh, I want to take them not simply through a summary of reform doctrine, uh, but I, but I want to take them through this expression of reform doctrine. Say, so is this the expression uh, that you can sincerely receive uh, and and adopt? And as as you'll you'll know, Stephen, uh, in Scottish and Irish churches, they'll sometimes say, "Are you willing to defend this in uh, all the courts of the church and so on as, as well?" I I hope all that is is implied in sincerely receiving and adopting. Well, I was going to, as a follow up. I mean, part part of what needs to happen is that we we need to be training ruling elders in in the confession and the catechisms. I'm sure you have some thoughts on training. Um, and then the other thought I had with regards to that was, um, how do sessions ordain ruling elders? So how do we examine the knowledge of a potential candidate? What do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. Th- three quick thoughts. First, um, I think we want our whole congregation to be trained to understand the uh, confession and catechisms and the system of doctrine contained therein. Um, we, uh, uh, we, we want to do that because that's, that's going to help those members glorify God better, live for him better. Um, uh, for a membership, uh, of the church, for the membership of the church, uh, the, uh, the confession and, and catechisms is like a, it's like a target, something to reach for. You only need to be a Christian, be a member of the church, but we know that they're going to, they're going to live better and think better if they are reformed Christians. And so, and so we want to teach them uh, the confession and catechisms. When, when we find an elder candidate, we want to ramp that up. Hopefully, if they've been in the church for a while, they've been exposed to reformed doctrine. They've been exposed to the, to the, the confession and catechisms. Um, but uh, I, I've inher- when I was a pastor, I inherited a practice uh, from Dan Clifford, who inherited his practice from Al Carrico. Uh, I, if I have my my story right, which is basically to go out go out with elders uh, and deacons uh, uh, for breakfast and meet with them uh, again and again uh, during their elder internship and kind of walk through the confession and catechisms. Uh, they the elders and deacons would read ahead of time. They'd read a commentary and they would read the standards, of course, um, and then we'd meet to explain things in our own words and see what questions they have and just kind of make our way patiently through the text. Uh, uh, some commentaries are, are, are really uh, faithful expressions of what the Westminster Standards uh, make the author think of as he reads them. Uh, you know, some commentaries in the Westminster Standards are really just using the Westminster Standards to, to help organize uh, the thoughts of the author. Other other commentaries pay more attention to the text of the confession and catechisms themselves, and that's what I would recommend uh, uh, because of our, our our subscription promise. That's what I'd recommend. Uh, and then with assessing, this is this is a little bit too long here. I said I'd be brief, but here I go uh, with assessing uh, what we've done uh, at uh, at Grace Presbyterian Church, especially where I served the longest. And again, I'm I'm inheriting this from others. Is we we would ask the elders questions um, based on the system of doctrine taught in the standards, um, and uh, and based on the 
the wording of the confession and catechisms uh, themselves. We'd ask questions, and, and the elders were supposed to know the answer and be able to provide scriptural support. Uh, we, we, we thought for an elder to be able to defend these truths, as Titus 1 requires, that they need to be able to at least do that. Uh, deacons, on the other hand, we just wanted them to, to understand. Well, they just need to be able to answer the question. They didn't have to defend it from the scriptures. Um, they just need to be able to, they need to know what it was, articulate it, and state their agreement with it. So we had a we had a, a two different standards uh, for deacons and elders. In the presbytery that I was part of in Ireland, the uh, and this reflects a, a different view of of the nature of office. You know, the two office, three office question. Um, the presbytery in Ireland, the presbytery actually ordained the ruling elders, and consequently, the presbytery examined ruling elders. So if a man was elected to serve as a ruling elder in a local congregation, the presbytery conducted his examination in the the standards. Was that true in the EPCEW? It it was. So the Evangelical Presbyterian Church of England and Wales did the same thing. There would be members of the Westminster Assembly, so far as I understand, who would expect that as well, who would expect the presbytery uh, to uh, examine and ordain ruling elders, uh, uh, others would want the the local church to do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, in your um, in your very fine commentary on the Westminster Confession of Faith, in your introduction, you point out that the the Westminster Confession of Faith um, introduces doctrinal ideas, outlines how they're parsed and associated in the Bible, and helps the reader confess these doctrines in a thoughtful way. Um, and what you've just said really summarizes that that's what you're expecting an elder to be able to do. That, is that yeah. Fair? yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's that's fair because you know it, when when an elder's answering questions, teaching Sunday school, uh, listening to the doctrine, observing the life of the pastor, uh, and and all of that, one needs to know what a reform minister ought to look like, what a reform ministry ought to look like, and so that's just essential. So in the foreword to your excellent con- uh, commentary on the confession, Carl Truman says confessional Christianity is marked by two things, an elaborate confession of faith, which goes beyond the 10 or 12 points necessary for a basic Christian profession of faith, and a church structure, which provides for elders, accountability, and indeed ongoing pedagogy. So the confession of faith, you, you know, that's Carl's thoughts, but the confession of faith does provide for elders and does provide for accountability and does provide for ongoing teaching. Yeah, it, assu- it, it assumes that a Presbyterian church or their views, a, a, a sort of a rightly ordered reformed church will have all of those elements in it. Um, and, and, and so, uh, so a confession of faith without a, a clear uh, order of church government, uh, a directory for church government or, or a book of church order uh, is, is pretty much dead in the water. You, you need some way to, to call the leaders up to that standard, hold them to that standard, and then mechanisms for, for refreshing their, their, their knowledge of and deepening their knowledge of that standard as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scripture. And that's true um, within Presbyterianism, but it's also true in, in some um, parts of independency as well. 
um, congregationalism, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the Savoy Declaration uh, uh, makes it clear that for a congregationalist to to hold to their Savoy Declaration, they they need a form of church government uh, to to go with it, and so on. That that's yeah. Yeah. Other forms of the, the Reformed faith agree. Yeah. I think that's an important point because it's not just um, ruling elders of Orthodox Presbyterian churches that are listening to this podcast. Yes. Yeah, so, so recently, a uh, a group emerging from a, I guess they thought of themselves as sort of Reformed charismatics, uh, understood that, that they needed that, that their church had not been doing well. Uh, and so they came up with a directory for church government, uh, a kind of book of church order. And they asked me to review it. Uh, they, they didn't want to be Presbyterians all the way, but they wanted to be way more Presbyterian than they were. Uh, and then they also asked me to uh, work through with them and talk with them about confessionalism. Uh, and, and, and I appreciate that they understood that these two things needed to go together. Um, uh, otherwise, you know, neither one of them would, would, would really work well. So, yeah. Excellent. Um, what do you think are the ways in which ruling elders can continue to, to keep that knowledge and keep refreshing their, their sense of and understanding of these things in our, in our first podcast, for example, Craig Troxell offered suggestions on daily readings, and we put that up online. It's still available online. Do you have yeah. suggestions for daily readings? Um, or yeah, what- I, I, I do. So there's this uh, handy-dandy uh, uh, ESV Bible out, which has a number of creeds and confessions at the back. I happen to use one of those myself. And uh, what, what I do each day is I, I read. I'm, I'm less ambitious than Craig Troxell. In so many ways, uh, I, I just read a, a paragraph or two of the confession um, or a column of uh, the larger or shorter catechism. So I just kind of make my way through these texts, um, reading a sort of roughly a half a page a day and thinking about it as part of my uh, morning devotions. I, I found that useful. I mean, I, I do also uh, work through this as a family. Mm-hmm. Um, it's common for us to read uh, a little bit of the shorter catechism in our, in our family devotions in the evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, using one of those handy dandy ESV creeds and confessions Bibles. I think that it's a good idea, for example, uh, that local sessions should make gift of that particular edition of the Bible to their ruling elders and um, all the ruling. Elders. Yeah, there, there, there are inexpensive hardbound versions of it. You don't have to go goat skin. Uh. Um, the, um, your family practice in terms of, of going through the shorter catechism is good. When I was a candidate uh, for the ministry in Ireland, the um, presbytery examination was for candidates as you were working towards licensing was divided up in into three years of exams. So you didn't just do one exam at the end of your time. Like the first third of the confession the yeah, first, the shorter catechism and the first third of the larger catechism, you were examined in all of those at the end of your first year of theological study. Um, and the, the value of that was that it made it a much more manageable chunk to, to learn. Yeah, 
yeah. real value for me was that it broke the shorter, the, <clears throat> it broke the larger catechism into three chunks, and I, I was examined in the larger catechism as well. And mm-hmm. I and appreciate the value of that all these years later. Um, mm-hmm. The larger mm-hmm. catechism is a little neglected. Yeah, that's true. Yes. So let's let's talk about the neglect, but just just briefly, I do I do think there's a place for uh, for presbyteries to be encouraging candidates to be memorizing the shorter catechism and to be faithfully uh, faithfully reading uh, the, the the standards. But but then you know for ruling elders also, there's a place for ministers to be encouraging. Just as presbyteries could probably up their game, uh, I, I I think ministers could could gently encourage. Uh, and can provide tools uh, at Grace Presbyterian Church uh, in Vienna, Virginia. Every member who joined, I believe, was given a copy of the of the larger and shorter catechism, the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, just encouraged to read it and so on. Well, if you have elders handing those out, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's another uh, impetus for them to be catching up and reading them themselves. I, I just worked my way through the larger catechism again um, uh, in in the morning and, and just came to appreciate it more than ever. Every time I read through it, I I, I appreciate this rich text more and more. Uh, you know, there's two commentaries, Johannes Voss's brief piece and then uh, the uh, the 18th century work by, by Ridgely, which is really a system – System of theology launched from the larger, but it has many reflections on the larger as well. Uh, and you know, an essay here or there. The best essay is probably still Bob Godfrey's uh, essay on the larger in uh, to glorify and enjoy God. I I I now have an aspiration to write uh, "Living the Faith: uh, A Reader's Guide to the Larger Catechism." Uh, I I really want to work through this through this text uh there are just there are just any number of doctrinal statements that are if anything clearer than in the confession um the system of doctrine in the larger catechism i think is just so clearly hung together um and then of course you know you have the huge ethical portions uh in in uh and 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 the guide for the christian life in Ten Commandments of Prayer. So, and, and that's that's not even to, to mention uh, the the way in which uh, the uh, the sections on the uh, the ordinary means of grace are just so edifying. Uh, and I think elders in a home visit, for example, uh, when they're uh, let's say meeting with someone, asking if uh, if. If, how they're benefiting from the service, um, boy, that the, the larger catechism could be used as as an encouragement to family. You know, if you're you're not getting much out of the church, you know, uh, not getting much out of the sermon, or not enough, or you want to get more out, you're getting you're getting a lot out. You want even more. Well, here are some some passages worth reflecting on. Yeah. Um, I've been at a, a attending a church. Uh, in the last few weeks, and the larger catechism comes up a, a fair amount, uh, and uh, it's, it's, I think it's helpful to all of us. Yeah, you um, 
you have an article on the uh, the larger catechism that was published a number of years ago. But uh, I think it's in that article you you highlight that you think that the, the larger catechism, from the point of view of the Westminster divines, the authors, that this was a far more intentionally pastoral document. Something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. I I might have said that. I think that's I think that's that, that's true. Uh, it, it, and that they're they're providing all kinds of questions and answers meant to guide people through the ordinary uh, uh, service of worship on on the Lord's Day. Uh, they're they're trying to help people walk through through life, thinking uh, about what their duty to God is, uh, and how they can help others in their duties, and so on. So, uh, uh, yes, it's it's just immensely practical and therefore pastoral. Yeah. So I look forward to that commentary coming from your pan chat. Please, yeah. please work on that quickly. I've been working through the larger catechism in our prayer meeting. I take one question and answer. Yeah, yeah. At the prayer meeting, and um, you know, uh, I I have Voss, and I have Voss in the older form when it was published in the blue banner. Um, yeah, yeah. You, you realized. Uh, and, and originally, and of course, John Bauer has his work on the, the text. Um, yes, that, yes. That's very helpful and insightful comparing the, the text. Yeah. And the text. Um, yeah. And um, his new, his new, I guess it's, it's probably a couple of years old now, but his work on the confession as well, just it's history, it's assembling, and he's just a very shrewd observer of, of the, the context and text. Uh, of the larger and the confession, yeah. He's now working on the shorter. Good. I agree with you. I think the larger catechism is a most valuable tool for the shepherding of the sheep. So what what would you want to say to ruling elders about our our standards? What would you want to what would you want yeah. to say to ruling elders to help them and encourage them? Yeah, so so Stephen, th- thank you for that. I I suppose what I really want to say to our, our ruling elders is that it, it's just a wonderful gift to be in a Presbyterian church that doesn't try and work around the standards, but but deploys them uh, for for all their their various purposes. Um, I, I would love for for ruling elders um, uh, bef- before the Lord's Supper uh, to to be for themselves. Uh, you know, reading the sections on the Lord's Supper, um, uh, thinking about what it means to improve on their baptism, uh, to incorporate the wisdom of the larger catechism, for example, into their family life so that they can better model the, the reformed Christian life. Um, I, think, I think that the Westminster Standards are also uh, very, very helpful uh, when it, when it comes to family devotions, I've I've alluded to this. Uh, so have you. Um, I, I I think that uh, it, it's it's just so helpful for us and family uh, and or personal devotions to be putting in our heads a system of doctrine. We we want to know the scriptures, want to memorize the scriptures, want to be able to summarize books of the Bible. Um, and then we want to call ourselves higher and say, how does this fit together theologically? The, these standards were written for, for, for people just like us. Uh, and, and they're so helpful. And then there are so many good guides uh, 
Thomas Watson's three volumes on the Shorter Catechism are just wonderful. And if I were an elder teaching a class on the Shorter Catechism, I, I, wouldn't, I couldn't imagine teaching it without, without Watson. Uh, the three volumes are entitled A Body of Divinity, which is, uh, covers the, the theological or doctrinal first third of the, of the, of the Shorter. Um, the next volume is called Ten Commandments, for obvious reasons, if you know your Shorter Catechism, and then it ends with a volume called The Lord's Prayer. Um, Watson's mother uh, taught him, uh, I think, that it's uh, rude to speak a sentence without a metaphor. Uh, and, and so uh, all three volumes are very picturesque. He's constantly using illustrations uh, from scripture, from nature, from natural history, from what he thinks is natural history, uh, uh, from science, good and bad, as it's presented in the 17th century. But, but if, if, if when, I, when I am, not if I am, when I'm teaching on the Shorter Catechism, I go to Watson. Because I will have six illustrations uh, uh, for every question, and it will add color. It will give oxygen to a discussion that could otherwise become very dry. Uh, Ruling elders, I also encourage you to to see if there's a way of of, of squeezing in uh, uh, instruction on uh, our standards and encouraging the pastor to participate in that if, if, uh, if possible. Uh, in 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 the regular uh, rhythms of of a Sunday, so uh, I've seen it done three different ways. Uh, in the first church where I taught on the standards, at an hour long Sunday school, I did the first fifteen minutes uh, was a little a discussion of some part of the confession or catechism, and then we would do a half an hour, forty five minute Sunday school lesson on something else. Um, that way, people weren't sort of overloaded on the doctrine. It kind of broke up the hour, and uh, I, I really did keep it to fifteen minutes maximum. The next church I was at didn't want any Sunday school at all um, uh, because they wanted people to come to two services. They thought if people went to Sunday school and a morning service, uh, only the heroes would show up for the evening service. Uh, but I eventually convinced my fellow elders that I could say something in ten to twelve minutes that would be worth listening to. They didn't need to put any kind of moral pressure on people. Service starts at 11. I would do this at 1030. Whoever shows up, shows up. Then there's a 15 minute break to kind of use the restroom and find your seats. Um, uh, The oldest elder in the church was quite cynical about the possibility of anything being said in 10 to 12 minutes and and about any minister being able to speak that briefly. Um, So I sent them a, a couple pieces. I said, read this aloud. It'll take 10 to 12 minutes. And he said, oh, actually, that's, that's edifying. And so then for the rest of my time at that church, um, every Sunday morning, I think it was you know half an hour before the service, I would give 10 to 12 minutes. And this elder would every Sunday say, and next Sunday, uh, Chad will be speaking on the Westminster Confession of Faith. And it will only be 10 to 12 minutes. It, 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 he, he, he had the same level of amazement through the rest of my time at this church. But but people really appreciate it. There are people who can show up half an hour before church. There are a number of people who aspire to uh, show up early and, and manage to pull it off. And those people who actually tried to show up for this uh, exposition of the confession, and uh, we're usually very late, but at least you're there on time for church. So uh, that was option two. Option three uh, was at, uh, at Grace, uh, a Presbyterian church in, in Vienna. 
there, uh, we divided up our Sunday school curriculum in a, into a four-year curriculum. And, and uh, we went through a quarter of the Bible, a quarter of church history, a quarter of the, the confession, uh, and some, you know, putatively uh, useful topic like marriage and family or evangelism or something for the other quarter. Uh, and that way we would kind of make our way through. Um, and again, that was just very helpful. So maybe your church does, doesn't, you know, you know, feels like, well, we've already got a fairly committed uh, Sunday school hour. Well, may, maybe 10 minutes at the beginning of the Sunday school hour. Maybe your church doesn't want to do Sunday school. Well, maybe 10 minutes, half an hour before service and see who shows up. Uh, or, or, or maybe you could get a, a more organized system. So I, I think, uh, ruling elders, uh, this takes work. Your pastor might be overwhelmed. Um, uh, but, uh, but any one of you could, could take turns doing this. Uh, and if there's three elders at a church, uh, if, uh, if for every three weeks, one of you, uh, did a 10 to 15 minute talk and you had three weeks to prepare it. You might be able to pull that off. It would help you as the teacher. Always helps the teacher the most. I think it would help others also. Yeah, especially if you're making use of Thomas Watson. Especially if you're making use of Thomas Watson. Exactly. Yeah. There's no confessional commentary quite like Watson that's quite as colorful. Uh, there's R.C. Sproul's Truth We Confess, which is a lot of R.C. Sproul stories, um, uh, which are always enjoyable. Uh, but yeah. Are there are there particular areas within our standards in which there's ongoing debate? Yeah, um, yeah, that's 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 a good question, Stephen. Um, I think when when we're training elders, uh, typical questions uh, involve uh, creation. What what exactly do we uh, need to believe? Uh, regarding creation, I, I write a little bit about that in my in my commentary. Um, uh, there are typically questions about the Sabbath. Um, uh, you know what's what's meant by uh, you know worshiping God all day. What's meant by works of you know necessity and mercy and so on. Um, uh, so so those those are areas where I would think that pastors really need to spend extra time. Uh, training ruling elders, helping them see the beauty of the Sabbath, uh, the fact that uh, that Christ has purchased for us a rest, the fact that we're entering a rest, doesn't make the Sabbath less important any more than the fact that the Lord's Supper looks back to what Christ has done and looks forward to the final supper of the Lamb, uh, makes us say, "Oh well, don't need the supper anymore." Uh, I'm not saying the Sabbath is a sacrament, but I'm but I'm saying it has that that symbolic, important pedagogical purpose. Um, I, I think it's also the case that the sec- sections on the sacraments uh, tend not to be uh, the typical ruling elders' strong points. Uh, if you've grown up in a Roman Catholic church, for example, and uh, you're asked, uh, uh, is, the, uh, are the, is the Lord's Supper and Baptism, are, are, are these means of grace? And many people say, oh, dear me, no. Uh, so just understanding why, in fact, that's the wrong answer, uh, and and how, with the work of the Spirit received by faith, these are uh, means of grace. So the sacraments tend to be uh, a, a little bit of a, of a weak spot. And then I think uh, every elder ought to be able to have be ready for like the the five minute and the twenty minute conversation 
on uh, on why we believe in household baptism. Um, I, I I think I give a useful treatment of this in my confessing the faith. I think in some ways it's a bit of a unique treatment. Uh, uh, so looking at chapter twenty eight, uh, uh, the first paragraph, the fourth paragraph, I think. Uh, has has helped a number of elders, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. Uh, and I would encourage you know look at Shaw, uh, Beatty. Beatty is excellent. So if you're a really elder who wants to say, look, uh, I've 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 read Sproul, maybe I've read Van Dixhorn, I've read Shaw. What else do I want to get? Uh, Francis Beatty has a wonderful, fairly trim commentary that incorporates the Confession and the Catechisms. Um, and uh, so that will be very edifying and useful, Francis Beatty. Um, uh, Hodge is good as well, uh, although you know his his sections on elect infants are are uh, uh, I don't think really match the uh, theology of the Westminster Standards uh, very closely. I think it's also helpful, uh, uh, ruling elders, uh, if uh, if you get a harmony of the Westminster Standards. Uh, you can get these, uh, you know, used online, uh, and these put the confession and catechisms next to one another, and you can see where the same doctrine is stated in different ways, and you can see areas where actually, you know, the the Westminster Confession of Faith doesn't really talk about the threefold office of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. It doesn't really, like the larger catechism does, uh, uh, go into any depth. On uh, in, in, in terms of Christ's humiliation and exaltation, the, the Westminster Confession of Faith's summary of the of of, what, of the work that Christ accomplished is about a third of a paragraph. Uh, in the larger Catechism, it's pages, and so if you want to get a reformed understanding, not just of the application of redemption, how it's applied to us, but how Christ accomplished that work, the Catechisms are actually the place to go. And if you get a harmony of the standards, you, you can begin to, to see uh, uh, where the one is filling in uh, areas only summarized in the other. That's excellent. Thank you so much, Chad. Um, I'm almost afraid to ask one question. The, um, the American Presbyterian Church, of course, modified the original confessional statement with regards to the, the powers of the civil magistrate. Yeah. You know, in the current climate in which we all find ourselves uh, politically, have you any thoughts on that? Well, I, I current climate does not wish for me to give the civil magistrate more power with respect to the church, but that's just a pragmatic answer. Um, uh, I, I I think that it's helpful for us to remember uh, the the language of First Peter. We are the church scattered amongst the nations. There's no such thing as a Christian nation. Uh, anymore. Christian nationalism is not Presbyterianism. Uh, uh, as understood by our American uh, forefathers. Uh, and I think I think wisely so, uh, be- because of First Peter. Uh, if you look at the examples used to describe the church in in Hebrews, it's the church in the wilderness. Uh, that's that's where we are. We are a pilgrim people. We are not yet at home. And modeling Church state relations based on the on the 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 Israelite theocracy, the period where Israel is in the land prior to or after the exile is not helpful. 
and and here's where I believe the Westminster divines, uh, or most of the Westminster divines, aired, as did most everyone else of their generation. Uh, they they used Josiah, David, uh, uh, Nehemiah as their models for how the uh, the English and Scottish governments would relate to the church. Uh, whereas what they really should have been doing is looking at Israel in the wilderness, Israel, and looking at the listening to the prophets and their instruction to the church in exile. Uh, that that's who we are. That's where we are. So, so they understood that the church is the continuation of Israel, but they didn't ask the question: Israel, where? Or Israel, when? Um, uh, so so that that led to the original framing of the confession, which assumes. For example, that presbyteries won't meet unless the civil magistrate uh, or synods won't meet, I should say, unless the civil magistrate calls them uh, as what's normative. Uh, whereas we would say that would be really quite extraordinary. Yeah. Chad, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been a privilege to catch up with you and talk. And we pray the Lord's blessing upon all your work. Uh, we particularly look forward to your, your published catechism, larger catechism. Thank you, dear brother. And uh, don't hold your breath on the on the catechism volume. It'll, it'll be bad for your health. I think it'll be a, a couple of years at least. Uh, but uh, thank you. And I, I love this. Love this podcast. I'm so grateful that we're doing it. Uh, our thanks to Abby Harding for all her excellent work in uh, the technical production of this podcast. 